Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the nil-nil result after 88 minutes of the podcast, who just never looks like scoring. And I'm joined by Tom Alderson, the Pablo Hernandez finish of the podcast, perfectly placed and sending Leeds fans into raptures. And finally, the blubbering wreck of the podcast, crying in the corner with mindfulness gone out of the window. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Um, I'm alright, I think I've just about recovered the power of thought, um, whether I've also recovered the power of speech or not, we'll have to see as we go on through the through the thing, but that was that was a bit stressful, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was very stressful and I thought was headed for a largely deserved nil-nil, I mean, give or take a Pablo, uh, uh, sorry, a Patrick Bamford header, but we will go on to talk about that in a little while. Uh, Tom Alderson, how are you? I'm I'm all right. I actually did start crying at the end when that goal went in. So, <laughs> but I'm a bit calmer now. I just yeah. I think if if that goal had gone in, we wouldn't have that much to talk about, would we? So it's it's quite nice, um, <laughs> isn't it? Really, it's scary, isn't it? What the change of a result can do to the sort of prospects of being able to talk about a game. Um, I think had we not scored that goal, I would probably have pushed the pod back, podcast back to tomorrow and. Um, given us just a bit more chance to sort of percolate over things and, and have a little bit of a look at the numbers uh, and some of the uh, the data coming out of the game um, and maybe be able to say something a little bit more sensible about it. But I think when, you know, when you scrape a result like that and, you know, however you look at it, however you want to talk about it in terms of um, uh, XG or chance creation, we have really scraped that result um, to a certain extent. And it doesn't feel like we've done that very much this season, you know. It didn't feel like a very Leeds United performance. It felt like we weren't going to score in 100 years if we carried on playing the way that we were. And um, it's just quite nice to to dig that goal out at the end. And um, yeah, what a what a difference from the, the parallel game from last season, which was Wigan at home. Um, so... Yeah, a different season for us. And I think on the back of that, it's well worth us just having a little bit of a talk uh, about the game itself. So, Tom, I'll go to you first. You've said there wasn't really much to talk about, but it was quite an interesting game, I thought, from a sort of tactical situation. Um, what was your just sort of general feeling as, as the game opened out? I know it's hard. I find it very hard to sort of really 
have the the space to sort of step back from a game when I've just watched it, a, a Leeds game anyway, and just think right, what was going on? Um, but I'm interested in sort of your 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 experience of the game. What were you thinking sort of before that 88 minute? I, th- I think you've mentioned this on Twitter that um, I think Swansea deserve credit credit really for making it hard for us to play. Um, so if I think if it a, dr- a draw would probably be in a fair result, even though they didn't really create that many chances. Um, they, well, it, just, it was s- similar to what they did at Ellen Road, and just they, yeah, this neutralizes away, and yeah, c- credit to them because uh, they they actually played quite well defensively. Yeah, I thought the way they uh, they pressed was really interesting because they they were kind of very happy for for White and Cooper to have the ball throughout the first half, and then as soon as it went to Ailing or Dallas on the sides, that activated their press and really funneled us inside, and it it really kind of gave us a problem because beyond that we were then just looking for really speculative balls because they'd flooded the midfield so much that we we ended up going long so much more than we're used to seeing in the first half um, and, and that really meant that we weren't able to get our creative players Harrison, Roberts and, and Costa involved in the game in any meaningful way in the first half. I wonder if you think it was um, a long balls, um, sort of like crossfield balls, were they part of the, um, the, the game plan by Leeds do you think? I think they were part of Swansea's game plan rather than part of Leeds' game plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting because what the game that I watched anyway, certainly the first half, um, Swansea came out and they 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 sort of counterpressed us. You know, the sort of classic um, style of play that you that people talked about Jurgen Klopp doing, but they 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 did they played the ball long largely and they looked to win the second ball, try and stop us from winning the second ball and then try and attack from there with Leeds' defensive structure a little bit more open. And I thought it largely worked quite well. Um and you know we didn't we we they pressed really well. You've mentioned you mentioned this already Darren but um and I'm I'm someone who talks about Connor Gallagher a lot and I have no doubt whatsoever that when the numbers come out his pressing numbers will have been good I saw that he made the most tackles out of any Swansea player um he's just so mobile he's so intelligent intelligent reader of the game and he was able to largely I think just um pressure Calvin Phillips uh and stop the build-up from from happening there he completely neutralized Calvin Phillips completely and that that Mm. meant that towards the end of the first half you saw Matthias Click doing the role that that Calvin normally does and dropping in to take the ball off the center halves yeah 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 that's really interesting because that was that happened after the um the first drinks break. I think Bielsa realised that because Gallagher was sort of man marking Phillips in the in in their possession phases, um, he was like Calvin, you go forward, we'll get we'll get click dropping back, um, and he can do the build up phase instead of you, and so you're pulling um, Connor Gallagher out of the out of the um, the build up phase in that respect. Um, another, I think, um, fairly interesting thing that that happened was Andre Ayew's position because I was I was actually amazed that we didn't play a th- three at the back against two strikers, but Ayew actually didn't really play on the the last line of defence at all for the whole no. game, uh, which was quite interesting. And he really found a lot of space in the midfield, I thought. Um, we know that we leave a lot of space in the midfield. We usually have Calvin patrolling it with mm. Conor Gallagher putting pressure on, on Calvin Phillips. Um, it, it seemed to me that um, Ayu was then able to sort of find find the space uh, either side of Calvin and, and really um, caused us a little a lot of problems in, in terms of uh, space making. But yeah, I'd be interested to rewatch actually because I, I wasn't I've forgotten who was who was sort of notionally supposed to be going to man to man on him, but he did find a lot of space in particularly in the first half, didn't he? Caused us quite a few problems dropping in there. Yeah, for sure. I think another thing with that is that um, it's, there was then less space for White to bring the ball out in the first half. Um, which 
I don't know, that he's, he's kind of started doing that a lot more in the last few games, which has really helped us. So I think that was part of the reason why we struggled in the first half. Absolutely, and I think it. W- I was going to say it would have been really risky for him to start doing that the way that they were counter pressing. Would, we would have been left very open if White had lost the ball in a, in a, in a vulnerable position, like he did at the start of the Stoke game, for example. Mm. Would have been right under the gun then. So we, we expected um, Swansea to play a three-five-two, and it, they pretty much ended up playing more like a three-six-one, um, and it, it just meant that we got we got no time whatsoever in the midfield. And I think that's why we started playing long ball ourselves, just yeah. to bypass that midfield, um, because it's one of the best ways of playing against a, a team that are sort of pressing high in the uh, hard in the mid middle areas. Um, so yeah, it, it really it really knocked the the, uh, the stuffing out of us. Really, I thought in terms of, I mean, it was bad. It's bad enough having um, Tyler Roberts as a build up player in the middle anyway. I think, um, and we with with that extra player there, it just felt like Roberts was anonymous for most of the game. Yeah. Uh, the game that he was on, um, Pat, Pat Bamford really didn't have much to go off in the first half either. Um, so yeah, it was it was one of those ones where I think you know, fair play to Swansea. They they did something that um, we'd. We'd seen Huddersfield do actually, and I've, I mentioned this on on the channel. I was we spoke when we played Huddersfield away. They they pressed us quite hard, and we won that game fairly comfortably in the end, um, per the the result. And I think as a result of that, no one really talked about what was happening. Um, but we really struggled in that game where they they had they had some big strikers on the field. They played it long, and then they looked to win the second ball when it bounced down. If it either you're through and you have a chance, or you you um, are able to quickly recycle the ball into possession. Um, after the the ball's gone long, so I think yeah, this was an an example of that. So I suppose the question then is, what do we think really changed at halftime? Um, we've got quite quite a few questions um, about about why did Leeds struggle. So um, Kyle Graham said, did it look like we just outran them in the end as a scrap a scrappier game as I've seen, but superior fitness levels playing off in a game like that. Um, uh, Brolin ate the pie says it seemed to me Swansea tactics in effect neutered their own offensive capacity am I reading that right um, Simon Harrow said how did Swansea manage to break up our counter-attack so well or were we, were we just wasteful Tar um, yeah just loads of questions about the tactics today Wiggy wh- why did we look so impotent in the first half and Leeds in the second the Swans commentators wanted to take credit for having to change our system they were soon regretting it LUFC Meal Deal says, first time we've been ahead on points from last season since match day 26. We dug that result out. For me, Swansea could have had a, a good case for winning too. Was the result down to superior fitness? As I felt they matched, matched us for uh, for the best part and especially in midfield. So let's let's move on to talk about the, the changes that were made um, in particular. Tom, what, what, were your think, what was your thinking on the subs that, that came in? Obviously, Alioski came on um, and uh, Pablo came on as well. Um, thoughts on that? Um, I think that that I think we knew probably from about twenty minutes in we needed uh, Pablo on for Roberts at half time, like just Roberts wasn't providing anything. He was if he was coming deep to get the ball, but he was being pressed so much that he was always added back to goal and he couldn't really do with it once he got the ball. So he was just like play, playing it again to one of the fullbacks. But I think um, bringing on the Alioski for Dallas was definitely another uh, good move because Dallas seemed to be defending. Um, I can't remember which play it was, but he was quite central when he was defending. Um, and then when obviously when we were attacking, he tried to move out to the left. And that's what... Um, it helped Harris, Harrison a bit more in the second half with Alioski on, I thought. I don't, know if, um, I don't know if you agree with that. I think it was quite interesting, the, the Alioski-Dallas change. Um, because... <sighs> 
I wondered whether or not we were going to go to three three one three. I mean, I know I bang on about that formation quite a lot. I I thought we might do it in this situation simply because, um, again, it, it didn't feel like we were being particularly pressured down the wide areas. Uh, well, particularly on the on the right hand side, it didn't feel like we were getting a huge amount of pressure from from there. Um, Rian Brewster was largely over on the left hand side, and I think him and Jake Bidwell were, were were causing us more problems on that side. So I wondered whether or not we'd do what we did against Stoke and and just put Dallas over on that side um, and then just sort of have um, maybe Harrison and and, um, and Hernandez sort of doubling up on the on Connor Roberts over on the right but we we really didn't do that and um, you know the, there's a there's a sense in which you know I, I'm still struggling to really understand why we were so poor in transition today um, in attacking transition and I suspect a lot of it comes down to um, just the, the fact that the pressure was on um, it felt as though a lot of the the work that we were doing was sort of the right idea, but when it finally came to it, there was misplaced um, there was misplaced passes. There was there was a little bit of sloppiness per touches, um, and I think you know Swansea really actually did a leads on us insofar as you know one of the things that we do in defence is we we man orient our our pressing and and our defending and. Um, Often that means that play that players on the opposition struggle to to get the ball to feet and then and then turn. We we come in quite early. They were doing that a lot to us. Felt like our players were fouling them all the time, um, but vice versa. When we played the ball into feet to our players, they were coming through quite quickly um, and and trying to nip in front and get the ball. And that and that really slowed down our um, our um, transition phase as well. Uh, Darren, I'll go to you. Do you have any thoughts on on all of this issue? Why was particularly the transition phases? Why do you think it was sort of breaking down for Leeds? No, I mean, really, I think it was it was more down to to, to Swansea Swansea's kind of tactical plan working rather than anything to do with pressure or to do with um, to do with any kind of narrative thing like that. I just I just felt that ta- tactically they set up more or less perfectly to to um, to kind of nullify our attacking transition, our attacking build up play and. Um, sometimes you just have to kind of say you just have to hold your hands up and say you know they've 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 played their game plan more or less to perfection and then we had to find you know an, another way around it which which I felt that we mm. we kind of did effectively in the second half. There's been a few questions about Harrison, but um, I'd actually be interested in your thoughts on Costa because I thought Costa was fairly uh, lacklustre today. Um, what did you think of Costa? I felt that there were a couple of times when when he managed to to get a little bit of space and he managed to get one on one with the fullback where where he kind of looked he looked kind of dangerous but then it was that kind of age old thing of where he beats a man and the final ball isn't isn't quite there or isn't quite right and um, you know I ne- I never really wondered whether it, whether it was particularly a game where the wingers were going to contribute a lot particularly in the first half because they were so isolated by the time they they received the ball that. That you know they would have had to pull up trees really to kind of have any any meaningful influence on the attack in that first half. I think you mentioned this on the previous podcast, John. That Aileen was playing like as a centre back sometimes and then as a right back. Yeah. Uh, so he was quite deep, and I think that's that hindered Costa in a way um, that mm. we struggled to build um, build up play on the right hand side. And that's another reason why I was surprised we didn't go to that three three one three, just because throwing Dallas over onto that side just allows him to help in the build up and give a little bit more of defensive solidity when uh, Ailing is in advanced spaces. So um, I certainly think there was something going on there. I also think look, Swansea were playing a three five two, so they were able to double up 
quite easily on our wide players. There was a few times when Harrison had the ball and there was three Swansea players yeah. around him and he just couldn't dig it out. And um, I think they, they did a good job of of really um, uh, nailing down on Harrison and, and realising that, you know, if we can if we can get to their wide players, actually a lot of the stuff that they're doing is coming through those wide areas. Even if it's, even if it's again, just transitional, even if it's just trying to do a third-man run or a fourth-man run and just uh, rotate the ball around two or three players yeah. so that you can then get the, the one of the players in space in behind the fullbacks and we really didn't get in behind the fullbacks uh, at all no. um, apart from like we, we did for the goal obviously and that was pretty much the the best chance we created from getting in behind the fullbacks and um, I, I, you know that's I think so much of our attacking play in those sorts of situations actually relies on that um, especially when defences allow us that space that um, I think we're, we're, we're not really um, we're not really able to to do much other than create those chances. I guess the Harrison chance um, that we, he created for for Bamford, which was um, basically straight on, uh, straight straight down the middle, was a first time. And this is something again we don't really do um, a first time cross from a from the ball going out to the wide area, and then uh, and then Bamford missing that. What I think most people will call a sitter. I think it was yeah, it was pretty. Um, easy in many respects it was a sort of 50 50 I think according to XG just under 50 50 but very close to very close to it so you would expect him it's certainly a, it was certainly a big chance so um, that should have been in and then um, the pressure should have been off somewhat but he tends to go down the middle a lot in those mm. situations I don't know if it, if you agree with that it's just, I feel like if you just put the ball to one side he'd score mm. a lot more yeah, I, f- I felt that it was the it was kind of difficult really because if he'd have if he'd have headed the ball even anywhere near towards the ground, I don't think the keeper would have have had any chance yeah. of getting anywhere near it. But it kind of hit it, it headed it into the kind of middle middle height of the goal, which made it kind of reasonably straightforward for the keeper. I mean, the keeper didn't really have to do mm-hmm. anything; it hit him effectively. But but yeah, um, I think it's one of those chances which which as a, as a striker you'd be disappointed to miss, even though the kind of statistics might, you know bear out that is. 0.48 I think well it's 50-50 right so yeah you'd expect him to put that in one time every two chances he got it which is like that's pretty that's a pretty big chance per xg so he'll be disappointed not to do that I, do, I agree with you Tom I think I think he he often tries to sort of go back across the keeper he does it with his feet as well I think um, where the keeper's coming back across the goal and I think he thinks if I can hit it into the the corner from which from the direction from which the ball has come the keeper will be moving the other way and it will wrong foot him um, but often he does just hit it straight at the keeper and there was another chance as well so we had a question from Fitzroy Baggers about what the XG for Bamford's chances were um, because there was a chance in the first half as well where it fell to his right foot and he hit it straight at, at Woodman uh, and that was only 0.09 that, that chance I think because it was on his weaker foot because he was under pressure from the from the um, from the defender as well but it's another one of those ones where you just kind of think look keep it low just put put enough on it to go in and 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 hope for the best he does seem to hit the hit the goalkeeper too 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 often but again this comes back to my parodic um take in the last podcast which is that 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 Bamford is too accurate and, and meaning meaning by that <laughs> that he he's a player I think who uses he uses physical objects to aim when he's shooting mm. and I think that's one that means that he hits the post a lot but also I think he, he has a tendency to hit the keeper a lot as well um but again, that's just um, that's just a little theory of, of my own. I, I, I don't know whether I, maybe I'll at the end of the season I'll, I'll watch back all of his big chances. I'll put myself through that ringer uh, <laughs> and see and see see what we find. Um, yeah, Costa. Um, so we've talked Costa. Let's talk Harrison. Um, so Matt Chapman, 
Chat Matman. <laughs> Sorry, I always see that. There's a baseball player called Matt Chapman, and I always call him Chat Matman. Um, where did Harrison go wrong today? Um, Fitzroy Baggers as well. Why did we struggle to get space on the flank so much? Harrison in particular. Uh, bad passing. We didn't seem to create our overloads as much. Um, Indian Olympic Dream said, John always mentions Harrison is our attacking outlet most of the time, but in previous two matches, he's been pretty much invisible. Have other sides' formations forced the issue or have we changed our attacking approach? Um, yeah, Tom, thoughts on Harrison? I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say without uh, looking back. I think part of it was just that there was just Swansea were prepared to put so many people out wide um, mm. because they know that's where we create most of our chances from, that there wasn't any space for him to do anything more uh, more than anything. Do we feel any sort of frustration in terms of Harrison's, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what, I don't want to call it intelligence because I don't know if it is intelligence, but my game sense maybe, because um, he's a very frustrating player to watch and he's one of the players who, as he plays, I think you can you can tell a lot from the, from the fan base um, Fanbash's reactions on Twitter that you know as soon as he does a few things wrong the the frustration sets in quite quickly um Darren have you got any thoughts on on that side of of Harrison's game do you do you feel as though he he does sort of have poor decision making yeah I, I do feel like decision making is, is a particular weakness with him because you, you see it time and time again and I think there were a couple of occasions today when he's got the ball on his on his on his stronger left foot and he's got an opportunity to whip a ball in for someone to attack and and he kind of cuts back inside, cuts back outside again, cuts back inside, um, and then and then ends up laying the ball off to Dallas or whoever else is around him. And I, I sometimes feel, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, that in in the spell just before lockdown, he he was kind of doing that thing. He was beating the fullback and he was getting the crossing quickly and decisively. And I, I feel like sometimes he's just too hesitant to make to make a quick decision and he want he wants a bit more time or he wants to make sure that there are bodies in the box but I think sometimes it's kind of he's got to take more of a gamble I think I think that's probably what the thing is more than anything he, he kind of he really tries to retain the ball when I think in his position he's got he's got chance to be a bit more speculative and I think I'd like to see see him just be that bit braver when he when he gets to a full back just beat him and get the ball in and if if the, if the striker or whoever else isn't there attacking it or if the other wing is not coming in from the other side then it's it's kind of their movement at fault but he's got to put the ball in the right areas yeah I felt like our, our wide play on the left even after Alioski came on was quite stilted stilted and um and and broken a, a, a bit there's a, I mean, there's a few chances like um Harrison trying to play the ball through to Alioski when he was offside and um a lot of that sort of really good play there was Harrison had a chance as well which he blazed over the bar like things like that where I kind of think You've you've done everything right there. You've worked the ball well. The ball's gone across. It's on your right. It's on your left foot, <laughs> your right foot, as it were. Um, but you, these are the chances that we really need him to be to be at least putting on target. We've seen we've seen Ben Rama um, at the weekend just be absolutely clinical with his with his left foot um, uh, and 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 right foot um, over the over the course of the of the last few weeks. And you know he's been coming in clutch. I mean Brentford at the moment are riding the wave of of uh, side Ben Rama. Um, and you look at the number of goals that the the front line for for Brentford have scored, and it's wild. It's a, I mean Ollie Watkins is 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 twenty four twenty five goals. Uh, Brian and Bemo is fifteen, I think. Side Ben Rama is maybe eighteen. Um, it's that's an incredible turn of uh, turn of, sort of turn of form for those players in in, the, in front of goal uh, that we just haven't seen. And I, I guess my worry is is that outside of Bamford and like 
Bamford is Bamford. We know what Bamford's problems are. There's there's really no one who you just kind of think, yeah, you know, they'll be clinical. They'll they'll take those chances. They'll 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 put the ball on target, and and that's basically in those situations what you want. Um, and I don't see that coming from Costa. I don't see that coming from Harrison. Um, and let's face it, like Pablo now is at a stage in his career where you know he isn't going to be putting those those sorts of he's not going to be scoring loads of goals he's he's he is not going to be as dangerous as he was in the past um we had a question from will who said how many of the goals since the restart have been made slash scored by pablo um so there's two two assists and two goals um and i've just i've looked at the um expected um goals from open play um and so Pablo scored two goals from 0.7, uh, 0.17 xG. Um, so he's coming in clutch there. Uh, but these these are not big chances, you know. These are this is Pablo scoring from the edge of the box, curling it in at Stoke. This is Pablo just finding the corner in what was just an incredible finish today. Um, he doesn't get forward that much. He is he is um, you know he's a lubricator. He move he moves the ball around. He finds spaces. He's creative, uh, but he is not a um, he is not cre- creating. He's not going to be finding himself in goal scoring situations. So um, I guess my my question is you know going forward like what what do Leeds do? Like we we are going to have these front four, give or take you know Tyler Roberts and whoever else we may bring in in the Premier League, and we are not. We don't look anywhere near dangerous, really, to be in, in to, to be in the Premier League. So, yeah, Darren, you've, you've clearly got thoughts on this. But what what's your take on on sort of the lack of goals that we've scored? I suppose the first thing I was going to say was that I think I think just to to think about Pablo's impact in the last few games in terms of goals and assists is a bit reductive because what he actually mm. does is he he manages to draw the defence out in a way which no other player does, and he does that by constantly peppering them with dangerous speculative inventive passes um which nobody else does and i think on on the graphic that you posted earlier john where where on the on the preparation sheet it looks like we gave the ball a lot a lot more away in the second half but and i can kind of almost guarantee that that'll be pablo trying things and not quite coming off without reviewing the game it's difficult to say but i think i think you're right i think i think we we clearly i mean stoke aside because that was but I think we can we can all agree that Stoke was a statistical outlier in terms of goals scored and in terms of um, outscoring the XG and all that kind of thing. That that we we do struggle for for goals in the team, not just around the team, but in the team, including Bamford. And I think it's something which which we'll really kind of need to to address. I wonder whether in the Premier League we'll see teams, you know, if we we do get there, and it is still an effort at this stage, um, whether we'll see teams player in a more open way which suits our playing style and suits players a little bit more um but yeah I think it is a bit of a concern but I'm just kind of thinking let's get through this season first and then we'll see how we get (laughs) after that I mean I certainly agree with you in terms of like at least Bamford maybe getting we talked about his front foot shooting and he's a much better he's a much better striker coming onto the ball so if you put the ball ahead of him like he had against Stoke like he had against um, Rovers that's that's the sort of Pat Bamford that you want. He, I think he scored he scored a lovely goal. I can't remember who it was against last season where he sort of curled it into the top left um, uh, when yeah. he was running onto the ball. Um, I can't remember who it's it was either against. Pres- it's either Preston or Reading. I can't remember which. I, yeah. I, I've got Preston in my head, yeah. so maybe it is Preston. But that's what you want. That's what you want Pat Bamford doing. Um, this this sort of dinky around the box football. Um, I'm a lot less confident um, with him. 
uh, about. But the other two, like, do you think that Costa maybe Costa will score more sort of one on ones if we can get him through? Uh, maybe he'll he'll do more of that sort of central stuff where the ball goes through the middle, we go long, and Bam- Bamford drifts into the channel, and and him and and, and Costa swap places, and and you know you sort of use Costa's speed to to get him into one on one situations. But do you feel as though Harrison is going to improve with with more space? Um, do we think that? I mean, for me, my my big issue with with Harrison is that he's an extreme athlete like he's clearly a really really like he he is a really really good um like mover as a human being he moves well he he is pacey he's quick his touch is great but when it comes to the actual things that you want him to do well you want to put it if you want a player to put a ball into the corridor between the strikers and 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 the and the goalkeeper I don't want Harrison on that ball if you've got someone who's got the chance to have a shot I don't want Harrison on that on that ball and and as we've said before you know if Harrison is one of your main outlets as a as an attacker is that not a worrying um, reality yeah i think i think probably so i think all i would say is that in, to his credit he has improved this season from last season and i i would hope that he continue his improvement and development but but certainly at the moment you know i, I think that he's kind of regressed really since since lockdown and that that yeah he's he's kind of end product you know to use that kind of term has has kind of has dropped off significantly since we came back, and um, I'm quite keen to, uh, yeah, see see whether he can kind of make any impact, really, any meaningful impact on on the next three games. I mean, short of the the the, the goal he scored against Fulham when we were already two 0 up and there was loads of space to run into, and um, I think he's really struggled to impact games since we came back. Hmm. I think Harrison has been a bit let off by uh, the fan base over a season. Really, there's a lot there's a lot of um, It'd be, I'd be interested to look at the stats on this, but I feel like he's he's had a lot of chances to score, and and hasn't done. And they've been, I think, and if Bamford had done that, m- most of us would have lynched him. But um, <laughs> so, and if the thing that will be interesting for me next year is if Forshaw is back, and because you, you, you really, really, well, we're always going to say we want Forshaw in the team. So you've got Forshaw, um, Pablo, Costa, Harrison, probably four, four people trying to get into three. So it'd be who who drops out? You'd think it's probably going to be Harrison. Yeah, I'm just having. I'm tr- trying to pull up his um, his numbers at the moment so we can see how far below his expected goals um, are. But it's been a bit slow. Uh, but yeah, and again, look, I don't want to. I don't want to jump on Jack Harrison and uh, as a as a as a as a punch bag on this. But so open play expected goals, he is on eight point five nine. Um, I don't know how many goals open play goals he scored. Um, let me just check. Six or Overall seven I think. goals. He's got six. Yeah, I assume they're all from open play. Um, so he's he's running a little bit below his expected goals. Um, his expected goals from all chances is nine point one. So yeah, six goals from nine point one. Three three under his xG is not it's not actually a great um, target to look at. And I don't know. The, the, a lot of the time, I think people question whether or not Leeds's approach is is. Is almost the cause of some of their problems, and this is maybe something that we should do a long uh, episode on in the summer break before things are back. But um, you know, the sorts of when you're playing, when Leeds are playing, they play with majority of um, possession. Often teams will sit back and will force them to break them down. Um, and the, the question then becomes: Do we have the sorts of players in those scenarios that are really going to benefit um, benefit us in, in in terms of just having to manipulate space and and break people in 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 sort of compact defences? Because the team that Bielsa has built is very very good at moving. 
um, is very, very good at, at compressing, decompressing, um, rotating, interchanging, etc. Um, and as soon as teams sit deep and, and have a bank bank of four and five or two banks of four, we, we really lose our edge. And um, I think maybe Harrison is, is one of those um, one of those players who, who really um, benefits from from when teams don't sit deep against us. But uh, in this division, teams have. So I know you've already mentioned, Darren, that, that the Premier League is going to change the, the dynamic somewhat. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, but have either of you got any thoughts on that, that, you know, actually the sort of football... The, the, the problem with Leeds is that they're playing the sort of football that would probably suit them in the Premier League, but they're in the Championship and they have to get out of it. And it's been that sort of story this this season because if you look at the underlying numbers, Leeds should have 103 points by now, um, which is easy. I mean, it's easy for us to say, but um, I wondered if anyone had any thoughts on style and then the impact that our style has on, on the way that we play because we are so dominant that teams just sit deep against us because it's not worth them coming out against us because their best chance is to sit deep. And so your, your own style almost... Um, hurts you I'm going to I'm writing a piece this week I think on similarities between Leeds and Man City in terms of the dominance that they have the way that they play um, and and actually it not working out for them like Man City have been have been very dominant again in the Premier League this season but they haven't got the points to, to match to Liverpool they've been unlucky with with their finishing and with um all the other stuff that we talk about for end, endlessly on this podcast about um so yeah um, Tom, I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on the style here? Yeah, as as um, I think Darren said, when we get into the Premier League, we'd have more space, and I think specifically Costa that'll suit him because mm. he's had to adapt from being. I wrote about this. He's had to adapt mm. from being at Wolves, um, where he was given so much space, and it showed um, in his end product where he was just so good in the, in those two years, and he's had to really adjust this year into getting through defences and that's why his uh, his main role has been um, in carrying the ball but you'd think with more space um, in the Premier League he'd probably you'd see his output go up or you'd, you'd hope so anyway and I think we've we've shown several times this year that we can be incredibly incisive when we get chance to play on the break and on the counter and, and- and that's kind of uh, one of the things which really gives me a bit of hope for next year because when 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 players like Costa, Harrison, and Pablo do have space to play into, we've we've shown that we can make and create goals um, from 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 any position on the on the field. But you're right in in the sense that the with the, with our style being the way it is, wanting to dominate possession, wanting to keep hold of the ball, wanting to constantly keep the other team under it. The, the kind of rational, logical response to that is to sit deep. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're kind of not going to change now, are we? 43 games into the season. Um, and, you know, you have you would have to say that for all that it can be stressful and problematic, that, that overall it wins us a lot more games than, than we don't win. And, mm. um, and it's put us in a really good position going into the, into the very final stretch of the, of the season. I feel as though we've brushed over how good Pablo Hernandez is, which is which is certainly my fault as a, as the as the host here. Um, let's talk about let's talk about Hernandez quickly before we move on to to doing the um, the preview for, for Barnsley. One question that we haven't answered yet. We'll do that first, and then we can just sort of wax lyrical about Pablo a little bit. But Corey James Stout asks, uh, do you think it's now a tactical ploy by Bielsa to bring Hernandez on at half time, or do you think he's still holding a knock? If Pablo was fully fit, he'd be in the starting eleven. Absolutely no shadow of a doubt. He's st- he's still the player we turn to in almost every situation. Um, 
I feel a bit sad that he's not able to, to, to start the games because I think we'd have a much easier time of it as, as things stand. But having said that, the one thing is is that when, when the opposition are starting to tire as they were today, Pablo's brain is 10% quicker than anyone else's on the pitch. Mm. And that's a statistical mm. fact. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, not, do you not feel as though um, the, the issue here is that what we're doing is just game management? We don't want to risk... Pablo, because of the flurry of games that we're going through, we don't want to risk him sort of breaking again. So they're just they're literally keeping him in Cornwall. No, I, I think he I think he is still still carrying the back end of a strain, and I think if if we weren't right in the back end of the season, I suspect he'd be rested until it's fully healed. But I don't think we can afford to play the remaining fixtures without having him involved in some way. Hmm. Yeah, you're definitely yeah. preferring for like three lots of forty five minutes in the rest of the games instead of just one and then season over because it's yeah if. God, God forbid, if we do end up in the playoffs somehow, you want him there, don't you? <laughs> Not now, Tom. <laughs> that is the most negative attitude I think I've ever heard. Uh, and that's coming from me. Famously <laughs> pessimistic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree that, that, you know, we've... He, I mean, he's carried us, hasn't he? Let's let's face it. And how many games have we come off in the first half and been like, this is just turgid, and he's come on and just lit the place up? So now is your chance to to say something lovely about Pablo Hernandez, if if you want to say it. But Tom, what, what do you want to say about Pablo? But based on the last few games, um, please never leave, never retire. <laughs> just stay stay this way forever. I I don't I just I can't believe he's getting better. I can't believe yeah. how good he actually is. It's just, I just, I'm actually struggling to find words for how much I, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Darren? Okay, so what I would say about Pablo, and I posted this on my Twitter feed the other day, is that if you think about that kind of theory that the brain has got two sides, the left side and the right side, the left side is logic and um, structure, and that's kind of what the tactics are for us and the style and, and the things that Bielsa brings in our running. What Pablo brings to us is the other side, which is the creativity the artistry, the problem solving right in the moment. Um, so yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he is the you know the kind of right. I hope I've got the sides right, otherwise I'm going to sound really stupid. But he is the, he is the right sided <laughs> brain of our team, and without him, we we can look robotic and we can look kind of turgid and we can look a bit lumpy. But as soon as he's on, things start happening, and it's just so beautiful to watch. And you know we've we've had four years of him. And, and he's been the best player at the club since the minute he walked through the door, you know, without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, it's interesting cause, because everyone cites the, the Bielsa quote where he says, if, if football was played by robots, I'd always win. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that Bielsa has said where he suggests that, you know, the, the robotic side is important because, you know, you, you can go through all of that. You can do the interchanges, you can learn the positional play. Um, but he also talks about, you know, having players who are, um, who are who have that bit of magic? Who are able to in, improvise? Yeah. It's, he uses, I think, um, musical metaphors occasionally, where it's almost like you've got the score in front of you. You know what you have to do to 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 win or play the piece of music. But within that, there is the freedom to then go and do something remarkable. And those players, those players who can do that, those those little maestro who come along and and are able to play the music but better. Um, that's really what I think Pablo is for us. I think there was there was a hint that Samu Saez could have been that. For for us for a bit but yeah. um it's been as tom says you know isn't it remarkable that that pablo hernandez sort of the 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 sort of the the dying embers of his career where you know he'd gone out to saudi arabia to start playing football for a bit and and he's come back and he's playing football at the highest level and he is the difference between us um 
not going up through playoffs or whatever. I think he really has made that difference for us. So um, I, I was sitting down with a friend the other day. Um, we were just watching online together, just using Discord, watching um, Hernandez when he played at Valencia. And there's a there's a if you get the chance to do it, do have a watch. But I can't remember what season it was. It must have been must have been twenty two thousand and ten maybe. Um, but he takes apart the Barcelona team with uh, you know the sort of classic Guardiola Barcelona team um, and it's just remarkable so if you get the chance to to watch Pablo in his pomp um, watch watch that and you can see you can see there why he turned out to be the player that he is and um, he you know the what's the cliche ain't aged, aged like a fine wine but you know it's really interesting seeing how he's developed into a more sort of tactical cerebral player whereas before he was sort of like acceleration explosion and and just being able to do remarkable things with the football uh, now he's sort of able to as you've said he's, he's sort of able to use his his nous a little bit more and realize what he should and shouldn't do in a football game uh, and really makes a difference it's like having a second coach on the um, on the pitch i think mm. there was that image from the stoke game where he's telling harrison to slow down and it's just that that intelligence that he brings to, um, to Leeds. I think the other thing that's really that I've really noticed over these last few games about about the difference between him and Tyler Roberts is that Tyler Roberts receives the ball and then tries to decide what he's going to do with it. Then he looks for the run. Then he looks for the pass. But Pablo knows what he's going to do before the ball comes to him. Um, and I think that that makes him so much more of a dangerous proposition, despite the fact that you know mm. he hasn't got the legs he used to have, or whatever whatever it might be. So mm. it's really noticeable. The Fulham assist, I think, is great for that because you know he shouts for the ball, the ball arrives, and he doesn't even look. He just takes the he take makes the ball because he knows what, he's decided already what he's going to do. He knows what's going to happen, um, and he's able to just make that decision in the split yeah. second. And that's the difference between us having a, a decent chance and not. And uh, he's so important for that. Anyway, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And actually, I think in the summer break, we're going to we're going to do a bit more of a we're going to work through the sort of first team players in individual episodes, hopefully, or maybe two in an episode and just really talk about them um, at this sort of level where you think about the way that they play and the style that they have and, and what they add. And we'll look at the numbers as well from their season. So if you are worried about the end of football, don't worry, because we will take you back through everything uh, in the summer break. Just before we move on to the to the Barnsley game, if that's what we're going to do next, I just wanted to just just give a little bit of a shout out for Melier, who I thought was really good today and handled the pressure in in his box and around the corners, uh, particularly when when they were throwing corners in really really well. I thought it was a really top mm. performance from him actually. Yeah, I was going to say this actually. Maybe before we move on, like uh, maybe a man of the match who isn't Pablo, because I think it, in a game like this where it's been largely turgid. Um, it's very easy to just be like, well, you know, Pablo came on, made, made. I mean, he was good, but, but he like he was great in in for a moment, and that was the difference. So it's it's very hard to sort of it's very hard to look beyond him for for the man of the match in in sort of true Sky, Sky Sports style. Um, who would you pick as man of the match? Would you pick Would you pick Melier as your man of the match outside Pablo? No, I think I'd pick Luke Allen. Actually, I thought he was really good. I thought I thought mm-hmm. he, he his his running, his persistence, his his uh, for for all that you know, he has occasional lapses in quality when he's delivering the final ball. You know, he kind of he, he constantly puts himself in the positions, and it it felt it feels to me like he's kind of on a bit of a personal mission to drag us up this year. Mm. And I, th- I yeah. thought he was excellent. Yeah, he ran about ninety yards for that assist as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, it just shows considering we we'd had a day's less rest than Swansea. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, to, and to still be that that fit to get in that position when it really matters, yeah, gotta to, gotta to agree. Yeah, so you're giving it to him as well. I was going to put in a good word for Liam Cooper actually. I thought Cooper played really well today. Great shout! Look, a remarkable player that we 
we forget was nicknamed League One Liam, um, had a few clangers at the end of last season, which I think never really endears a fan base to you. But he's been absolutely pitch perfect, I think, this this season, really. Um, and he's just become an absolutely brilliant defender in a, in a possession-heavy team. He was magnificent. Yep. Right, so the situation going forward then is we need four points from nine. So, yeah, we've got Barnsley midweek uh, on the Thursday and then Derby on, I guess it's going to be Sunday, and then the Charlton game is on Wednesday. So um, I'm not going to ask you any questions about this because I think it's best not to think about the future at this point. Let's just enjoy scaving a, a result from Swansea in the last few minutes. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's move on to Barnsley. So I was lucky enough to speak to Doug O'Kane, who is the sports editor for the Barnsley Chronicle, and this is what he had to say. I'm joined by Doug O'Kane, sports editor at the Barnsley Chronicle. Doug, how are you doing? Good, thanks, John. How are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, obviously a good result for us last night, so yes. quite chipper. <laughs> so let's talk about Barnsley. You've had nearly a full season in the Championship now since being promoted last season. How would you assess the season on that basis, looking back? Well, I think it's been generally pretty tough, um, as you can sort of see from the, from the league table. Um, I think looking back a year now, or even more than a year to last summer, I think a lot of fans think that you know perhaps the recruitment last summer and the players that were sold from the promotion team from League One shackled Barnsley and, and hampered them this season. Uh, they brought in a lot of very, very young players um, who didn't quite seem ready for the championship. Gerhard Strubers came in for Daniel Stendhal in, in November and has definitely made improvements. But um, going into the last few games, it's it's touch and go sort of whether those improvements and changes will be enough to, to keep them up. And it would be a bit of a miraculous escape if they did stay up at this stage. As you've mentioned, it's been an interesting season for Barnsley from a managerial point of view. You've said you started off with Daniel Stendhal and then after moving him on, you brought in Gerhard Struber. Do you think this a smart manager approach is working? Because these aren't sort of your standard championship managers in many respects. No, but I suppose that, that Stendhal definitely worked to an extent because he got them straight out of League One. Then they decided that they needed to move him on after it didn't start well. And, and Struber has, after coming in that, in a very, very difficult situation, then one in 16 games, they were bottom of the league, ha- has proved himself to be a decent manager. Their points total, I think, now would... Uh, under him would have him have them pretty much comfortably in in mid table. So um, those two decisions have worked um, uh, it, to an extent. Um, a lot of fans do question whether you know you should have a manager who knows the league a, a little bit better, an English manager. 
but um I think they're the clubs very much um trying to have a sort of long term approach to the type of football they like to play they like to they want to play sort of pressing energetic football and they feel that the German and Austrian leagues uh, produce a lot of managers who who suit that style, and that's the they're based on sort of their data searches and their statistical recruit uh, approach to recruitment. Those are the managers that they found, and they're both um, talented managers. I mean, the one before Jose Marais, last time Barnsley went down, he was, I think it's fair to say, he was a total disaster. But the the two since then have you know definitely been talented coaches. So there, there's something. Going right in the um, in the recruitment department, a lot of people would say it was a, a, um, harsh to sack Stendhal so early, but Struber has definitely massively improved this, but especially the defending and also the post total. Yeah, so since Struber has been at the club, the form has been good enough to merit fifteenth place. Do you think this is going to be enough to drag Barnsley out of the relegation zone? It's looking difficult. This week that we're in now, we went into uh, Barnsley had picked up seven points from nine after the restart, kept three clean sheets, and you looked at the fixtures, Stoke away, Luton away, and Wigan at home, and thought, well, if they can get seven points out of nine again, or, or something similar to that, then that they could be they could be safe going into the last few games, or, or nearly so, uh, certainly out of the relegation zone. But unfortunately, they got they had a nightmare day at Stoke and lost four four nil, and much better at Luton, but had to salvage a point. So going into this the the last four games, it's um it, it's looking tough. But um, I think they probably need at least two wins, um, maybe three. Um, which is difficult because they've got their last three games of Leeds, Forest and Brentford, three of the top five. So it, it, it's tough, but I don't think you can ever completely write them off. And um, you never know, they've, they've they've sort of come up with great escapes before in their history. So maybe, maybe this was another, could be another one, but it's, it's very, it seems unlikely. You've had a few games now to assess what post-lockdown Barnsley look like. And it's been a bit of a mixed bag with two wins, two draws and a loss. How have you actually looked on the field? Like I mentioned earlier, very very solid, especially defensively in the first three games. Um, they barely had; they only had a few shots on target. The opposition in the, in the Barnsley won one nil at um, QPR, drew nil nil at home to Millwall, and then beat Blackburn two nil. But um, and it was a complete change to uh, Stoke. Um, and Barnsley were two nil down after ten minutes, and uh, it was just a, a disaster of a day, really. But then. More, a lot more solid at, at Luton. So generally, the the defence has been has been pretty good, um, and they're, they're, they are struggling a bit uh, to score goals at the moment. Um, their star strikers, Corley Woodrow, he hasn't scored in seven, and uh, Connor Chaplin's got three in his last nineteen in, in the league, and they they've been the real goal threats this season. So that that's a bit of a worry, and kind of the opposite to what it's been most of this season. But generally, I'd say four of the five performances since lockdown have been decent. It was just that disastrous one at Stoke that's let them down, really. I'd like to talk about Struber's tactics. How would you describe them? Well, as I mentioned earlier, he's kind of that kind of uh, gegenpress German style. He's obviously Austrian, but that that kind of um, school of managers. He he cites Jurgen Klopp as um, sort of uh, someone who he is inspired by and looks up to, although he says his style isn't exactly the same, but it's kind of a... A similar thing. Um, what he has done is he, um, Stendhal, his predecessor, who was a, a bit more gung ho and a bit, bit more just attack, attack, attack at all times. And I think he's he's calmed that down a little bit. But they're very, they're very, uh, they're a bit more um, better at game management now. But um, 
they're still very much a pressing team and a counter-attacking team and they've got the players to do that well when it works. It's just because they're so young, they're a bit inex- um, inconsistent and inexperienced. But yeah, that that's the kind of way he plays. He's got a couple of different formations, but it's all always sort of like pressing and a counter-attacking style of play. Lots of quick passes and it sometimes go long, but mainly it's uh, you know trying to break up the pitch quickly. Looking through the matches in Struber's time at, at Barnsley, it looks like he's switched between a back four and a back three. But since lo- lockdown, you've utilised a back three exclusively. Why do you think this is the case? It was back three in the first three games after lockdown. They went to a back four at, at Stoke and that went really badly, as you can see by the scoreline. And then they, they went back to a back three at, at, at Luton. So it ha- has worked well. Um I think they've they've got a, a player called Matt Mads Anderson who struggled in the first half of the season, made quite a lot of mistakes. A young centre back, but he seems to really suit playing in the middle of a a back three um, with a um, another player called Michael Solbar, an experienced centre back who um, Barnsley sort of broke their rule of only signing players who are twenty five or under to bring him in. He's th- he's just turned thirty and he was one of Struber's players at his former club Wolfsburger and he's been really good and then they've had so they've had those two and basically a fullback in the in the back three either Jordan Williams or Ben Williams who's sort of broken forward um from the back three and sort of joined midfield and, and that's just worked quite well in, in most of the games especially at Luton um on Tuesday so I think he just feels like he's got the personnel to do that um, he's got a couple of players who he, he had he brought in from his former club as well who he trusts as wing backs and um so he just it feels like obviously he had three weeks on the training ground. He came. He felt like that was the best uh, formation to, c- to come back with after that work. I think it will change game by game uh, depending on the opposition. Um, but yeah, that's that's been the formation that's worked best for Barnsley so far after the break. You've brought in a lot of players from the European market under both managers this season. Understandably, they they obviously know the European markets well. How do you think this approach to the transfer market has worked out for you? Yeah, I think it was going back even before um, these two managers. The um, recruitment department is starting to, over the last few years, even when Paul Hackingbottom was in charge, was starting to bring in quite a few players from overseas, like from France. Um, excuse me. <coughs> and um, that's that has definitely been an approach from Barnsley. I, I think... Um, I don't know whether it's necessarily anything to do with the um, nationality that's that's been a problem. Really, they're, they're, some of the overseas players have have been okay, but generally the recruitment's been a bit of a problem. But I think more it's the, how young the players are. They they they're all you know. Last summer, just a, a conveyor belt of twenty twenty one year old, nineteen year old players, and and regardless of what nationality they are, they just really lack the experience and know how uh, of playing in the championship and that for me has been the major issue not not where they're recruited from I think if they were going to sign a, a few slightly older players like they have in January with Solvauer it wouldn't matter really on the on the destination I think the the idea of um, getting players for a little bit cheaper from sort of untapped markets in um, in in Europe is a good one um, I just think they went a bit too young last summer how are you looking injury wise there's only one going into the the this week uh, into the Wigan game. Um, Ramal Palmer, a young midfielder who'd never played before um, before the end of the of the break, he was a surprise start in central midfield. 
for the first three games, but he picked up an injury against Blackburn. He's out for the season. Other than that, um, based on uh, the latest press conference, there are no other injuries, so it's pretty much a full-fit squad. We should say that this is being recorded before the Wigan game, um, so there will be a game that comes into effect, so there could be more injuries afterwards. In terms of the game next Thursday, what do you think the lineup will be from Barnsley? Again, it's tricky to, to say with, with a, you know another, another game in advance, but um, that I, I will guess they will stick with the uh, with the back three um, and say that um, um, Jack Walton will be the goalkeeper, and the back three will be uh, Michael Solbauer, Mads Anderson, and it'd be one of. I would I'd have thought Jordan or Ben Williams, probably Jordan as the place at the moment. The wing-backs have been Marcel Ritzmeier on the left, Killian Ludwig on the right. Then in central midfield, um, Alex Mower has been playing with Mike Bearer. And then uh, Corley Woodrow, the top scorer, has been sort of playing just behind the front two of uh, Connor Chaplin and Jacob Brown. So I'd be surprised if it's any different to that because that's just Seamus' favourite team at the moment. But you know, might be a few changes in the week ahead. This is a question that I always ask uh, our opposition fans because I'm always interested to see who they identify as Leeds' best players. But which which player are you always wary of when you face Leeds? Yeah, I mean they've got quite a few this season, haven't they? I think uh, looking back over the previous games, uh, Alioski and Hernandez have terrorised Barnsley um, and both scored at least once against Barnsley. I think Alioski scored home and away in the last time, the last season Barnsley were in the Championship. So yeah, they're clearly um, clearly big threats. Um, you know, I think Barnsley actually played quite well uh, at home against Leeds and kept kept them sort of fairly quiet. But then uh, Eddie and Katia got obviously he's not there at Leeds anymore, but Eddie and Katia got the winner and then there was a penalty. So yeah, there's threats all over the field from Barnsley, but um, they they managed to keep other good teams quiet this season. Kept two clean sheets against Fulham. So if they're really at their best, you know they may be able to hold out. And uh, the opposite way around, which players should Leeds fans look out for? Uh, well, I would normally say um, Corley Woodrow and Connor Chaplin. Hopefully they can refine their form in, in this season. They've got 28 goals between them going into the, into the Wigan game. Um, like I mentioned, they're not on the greatest form, but they are real, really good goal threats, um, good players. Um, and I'd also say that Alex Mowat, the former Leeds player, has been excellent for Barnsley in the last two seasons after a really difficult start to his time at Barnsley. He'll obviously be pretty motivated. I think it's his first trip back to uh, to Ellen Road, obviously in very strange circumstances with no fans. But um, yeah, he's kind of the heartbeat of Barnsley's team and, and a big threat. I think he's got one of the most highest totals of assists in the Championship this season and he's a, a really good player for the Reds. I'm interested in how you think the game is going to unfold. I don't really ask for uh, predictions because a prediction is a prediction, but feel free to give one if you want one. But how do you expect the game to unfold on Thursday? I suppose a lot depends on what Barnsley need from it uh, after after Wigan. But um, uh, I think they'll probably look to stay in the game for a while. They've obviously seen a couple of their relegation rivals go to Leeds in the last few weeks and Luton hold on for a point and um, Stoke get thrashed. So uh, they'll be looking to be the former rather than the latter and try and try and be solid and, and hope that the players that they've got on a counter-attack and a break can cause Leeds problems. Um, I think uh, that they'd probably be happy with a draw regardless of the circumstances. They're just um, Barnsley fans, I suppose, will hope that they don't have to go to Leeds needing to win. Um, although, obviously... Uh, the Reds, if they if they were to 
to get a win there and uh, upset the promotion party. That would be uh, one of the, the best games they've had for a long time, I think. Well, Doug, thanks so much for your time. If any of our listeners want to catch up with your following, sorry, coverage of uh, Barnsley, how is the best way for them to go about doing that? I'm on Twitter, DougOkane88, and also um, you can see the Chronicle website and um, newspaper every Friday. Well, Doug, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the game. Cheers, John. So that was Doug O'Kane, the sports editor for the Barnsley Chronicle. Darren, what were your thoughts on what he said? Yeah, I think it was was quite fascinating, really, because he kind of um, seemed to be a bit divided himself between which approach Barnsley will take. Will will they kind of go for the the heavy, high-pressing approach, or will they kind of sit in and and try and take take a point? And I I think that's going to be really key to the sort of game that we see, because I think if they they come to to press high and if they come to play up, up the top end of the pitch, I think, you know, I think we'll have a reasonably comfortable day. But if they choose to sit in, you know, we've all seen what what that can be like, and and it, then it just becomes about the first goal, really. Um, interested to hear him singing Alex Mowat's praises because you know I think I think he's a player with with a lot of qualities, but I think he's a player that that might struggle with the kind of mobility aspect of it when playing against Mateus Click, etc. Um, so I think I think it might it might be something that we look to exploit his kind of lack of running. Um, but I just remember them giving us a really really tough game at Oakwell. Uh, which in many ways was quite similar to to today's game, um, and yeah, be really interested to see to see what happens. It's going to be another another tense Thursday evening in the house. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just looking through their run of fixtures. I mean, before they went into the into the lockdown, they played against Cardiff and they played a four three three, and then since they've come back, they've played a three five two on three. I oh, know most occasions actually, but then against Wigan they switched allegedly to a four-four-two diamond. So um, I have absolutely no idea what to expect from them. But um, I, I guess the issue for them has been that they're playing they're playing three-five-two because they need to try and like get results. But then yeah. you you know they're in a situation now where um, they they probably need to be a little bit more uh, adventurous than and 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 productive. So I'll be I'll be interested to see. What it is that they do? Um, I think they're, to be honest, I think they're a fairly decent side um, under Gerhard Struber, and it's another case like we had against Stoke, where the league table position actually is a little bit unfair on them because they've had a new manager coming in, and 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 if you look at Barnsley under Struber, they, I think they're um, easily mid-table. Um, so it's another one. It's another case where you you sort of think. Oh, you know, this isn't a very good side. Yes, they are struggling with the relegation battle, but at the same time, you kind of think, you know, this is it's like a mid-table side with a relegation battle added in as well. So, um, I'm, a, I mean, look, I, I don't think we'll struggle against Barnsley. Um, I must admit, but um, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy either. I don't think it's going to. It's not. It's not one thing nor the other. We 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 will have to work hard. Um, Tom, did you have any thoughts from the from the from what Doug was saying? Um, it did make me feel better when you said that both uh, Woodrow and Chaplin were completely out of form. Um, but and what the only thing that did worry me is that um, he uh, said that they have quite a good ability on the counter attack. Um, so, which obviously is what they will be doing um, against us most of the time if they have opportunities to attack. Um, and he talked about they kept two clean sheets against Fulham. Earlier in the season, um, and they get, agree with Darren. The game was a hard game when we played them earlier, so I don't, I don't think it's going to be straightforward. But I don't, you wouldn't think that they've got enough to to worry us really, even if they get into positions where they can score. We've already said we need four points from nine, three games. 
is this is this a game where as a club we just go for it and we say right if we get the three points here we we only need to draw against one of Charlton or or Derby um how will the how will the 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 how will Bielsa be looking at it in that respect do you think Tom I th- I don't think he'll even be thinking about Derby and Charlton it will just be so focused on Barnsley um so you just wonder if it might get to the players a bit and they might be a bit nervy, but I don't know, it's, it'd be it's hard to say. Um, you'd, you'd think that um, they'd be they'd be focused enough, as they've shown today. I haven't seen the, the schedule for the next match day, but are we, presumably we're one of the last teams to play again. I think we are, yeah. Yeah, I think they play on Wednesday. I think Brentford mm. play on Wednesday. I'm not sure about West Brom. So how do you how do we feel about that? Given that um, obviously, if you take into account that you know there could be a, a situation for us to actually come through and win that game and, and presumably guarantee our promotion in some sense. Yeah, I think if Brentford um, don't beat Preston and we mm-hmm. beat Barnsley, I think we're up. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. So they're they're six points behind, right? And if we if we won, we would be nine points with with only six left to play for. So West Brom as well have got a game against Fulham. Oh, have they? Is it on Tuesday? Maybe even as early as Tuesday. So, mm. um, you know, that's a big game as well. So, again, either of those two teams dropping points makes this a, a, a very good game for us in terms of the, the possible promotion. I'm just having a look now. So we're on 84 points and West Brom are at 81, so they're three points behind. So if we win the next game and they lose the next game, um, we would have six. We'd be six ahead. We would be ahead on goal difference, and um, yeah, there there would only be six points to play for as well. So, West Brom will be relying on getting better goal difference, and I was losing the last two games for that too. So, yeah, it's it's getting very close now, and obviously, none of us will be happy until it's guaranteed. But I think you know that goes to show just how good a result it was for us today. I think we should draw this to a close because I'm too zoned to really talk sensibly about about Barnsley. But we've got the the clip from from Doug, so you'll have got a, a fairly good insight into into them there. As usual, we will be back after the next game. The next game is on Thursday, and the game after that is on Sunday. So I think we'll probably be doing another Thursday evening recording there. So um, with this flurry of games, as I've said, we're we're really struggling to take our time to to look back on the game, which is not really what we're doing. But you know, this is the reality of uh, post-lockdown football three games to go we're nearly there in fact by week on Wednesday we all know what's happening with Leeds United you know the next match day could see us technically promoted so lots to be excited about but don't worry it will be it will be over soon and we'll be able to sleep for a week I should mention that we have a Patreon channel, which is where we do a lot of bonus material for you guys. So we have bonus podcasts going up every week at the moment. Josh Hobbs and I are doing the episode this week. So if you have any questions, do get in touch. Uh, And if you're interested in our Patreon, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats on where you have a look over there. There's a huge amount of bonus content that's up there that once you subscribe to the channel, you can um, have access to. So do check those out. Josh and I think we'll just be answering your questions and talking about various things that have cropped up in the last few weeks. Hopefully we'll be able to do a little bit more of a fuller response to the Swansea game. Three people who have actually done that and supported us through Patreon recently are Colin Shiel, Aidan James and Tom Marsden. So thank you guys for getting involved. Right, all that's left for me to do then is to say thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. And thank you, Darren. Thank you. And hopefully we can uh, have a little bit more of a restful sleep tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no chance.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.